happy and a bunch of people are going to be disappointed and a bunch of people are just going to be thankful that it's over, but there's not going to be a call of the National Guard to action. Um, you're not going to be at the threat of violence based on who you vote for. And so um, I've been places like Northeast India where in order to travel from one community to another community just 60 kilometers, we had to have military jeeps um, with soldiers with machine guns to keep us safe, just driving, you know, 45 miles. And so everything I, I share today, I want you to hear in the context of we live in the greatest country in the history of the world. Now, some of you know that I was almost a teacher instead of a preacher. And uh, there's that inner teacher within me, and I've never been able to actually give quizzes or tests that count. And so every once in a while, just to feed that need, I give you a test. And today is one of those days. So grab your bulletin, grab your presidential quiz, and to kind of get us in the spirit of uh, the election, and specifically the election for president, we're going to see how well we know our presidential history. And so I'm going to give you the question... The, the four possible answers are going to be on the screen, and then I'm going to ask Dana to, uh, to give us what the correct answer is. So let's get this started. Who is the only U.S. president that has a master's of business administration? It'd be really smart to have an MBA, don't you? Wouldn't you think? Survey says George W. Bush is the only president. How many of you knew that, by the way? Anybody know that? Some of you knew that. Okay, good. Number two, which U.S. president was an ordained Disciples of Christ minister. What do you think? Was it Adams, Jackson, Jimmy Carter? What do you think? Anybody, anybody know? James Garfield from uh, the state of Ohio tragically only served for about four months. He was assassinated, sadly. But he was actually ordained Disciples of Christ minister. Number three, only U.S. president who was divorced. And this could change depending on Tuesday's election. This would be uh, one of two, potentially. But you know the answer to this? Survey says Ronald Reagan. That's right, Ronald Reagan. Number four. Number four. Only U.S. president who was Roman Catholic. There's only been one. And there was a great fear when he was running for president that um, if he was elected, he wasn't going to be calling the shots, but the Pope was going to be calling the shots. It proved to not be true. Anybody know the answer? JFK. That's right. John F. Kennedy. Number five. And I share number five because there's a chance it could happen this year where if one of the, the two major candidates does not get 270 electoral votes, it would shift to the House of Representatives. And two times in our history... The U.S. House of Representatives has actually decided who's going to be president. And the answer is the year 1800 and the year 1824. Did anybody get that right? Man, I'm so... Oh, one person. Darn it. I want to stump them. Okay. Good job, by the way. Number six. Only U.S. president who, is a Ro who was a Rhodes Scholar. And maybe the question could be, should be, what is a Rhodes Scholar? Maybe you don't know the answer to that. Um, Oxford University, anyway, long story. But what's the answer? Do you know? Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was the only U.S. president who was a Rhodes Scholar. Number seven, only U.S. president to never marry. He was a bachelor all the way through. James Buchanan. James Buchanan. Is anybody seven for seven right now? 
Nobody's seven for seven? Wow, we had like five people in first service. Okay, number eight. Only U.S. president to be impeached by the U.S. House and then convicted of impeachment by the Senate, thus removed from office. The answer is no one. Johnson and Clinton were impeached. They were not convicted of impeachment. Most people think Nixon was, but he resigned before impeachment hearings began. Number nine, only U.S. president never elected president or vice president. You may say, how is that even a possibility? The answer is Gerald Ford from the state of Michigan. That's right. Nixon had a vice president with one of the great first names of all time, Spiro, and Spiro resigned, Spiro Agnew resigned, Ford became the actor, the, the uh, vice president, and then Nixon resigned and Ford became president. And then number 10, all of these have ties to Illinois. Only U.S. president born in the state of Illinois. The answer is Ronald Reagan. Greg Coins, you went to first service. That's not fair. That's not fair. Okay. Although I'm glad to have you here. Lincoln, Grant, and Obama all went to the presidency as Illinois residents. So here's the thing. Um, When we talk about the presidency, when we talk about politics, I think a lot of times um, as Christians we say, the less I know, the better. The more I can be removed from it, the better. And and yet I don't think that's what uh, the Lord wants from me, and I don't think that's what the Lord wants from us. And so I don't think it really matters if you knew the answer to any of these trivia questions or not. But I do think it's important that as followers of Jesus, we're engaged in the process. And so I've thought a lot about what I want to say today, and I've come up with five humble suggestions. Five things that I want to challenge you, as a, if you're a follower of Jesus, to really take with you Tuesday to, uh, to the election booth. And I know some of us have already voted, and if you've already voted, I just wanted to kind of um, run through your heart and your mind moving forward. And number one is this. I think it's important as followers of Christ that we embrace the call to be good citizens, to do our duty. Um, we're so blessed to be able to elect our leaders. So many countries would love to have that be a reality. And so when I hear Christians say, I'm just, I'm out, I'm done, I'm staying home, forget it, maybe two years from now, maybe four years from now, I, I don't think that's a good choice. Um, I'm going to give you some snapshot phrases from Scripture to try to reinforce this. And number one is this, show proper respect to all. First Peter chapter 2, Peter says in verse 17, exactly that, show proper respect to all, love the brotherhood of believers, fear God and honor the king. And, and here's the catch with that. When Peter writes 1 Peter 2, when Paul wrote his 13 letters, when James is ministering, Jude, the, these uh, New Testament writers, they're operating during true oppression. I mean, you're frustrated because you dis- disagree with a politician. You're frustrated because you're a Republican and there's a Democratic president or you're a Democrat and you have a Republican governor. I mean, it's nothing compared to what Peter and James and Paul and Jude face. I mean, let me just give you one name, Nero. I mean, people died because of who was in power. People died horrific, awful deaths. And Peter, of all people, says, love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, honor the king, show proper respect 
to all. Does that mean I agree? It doesn't mean that I have to agree with every stance that my president takes or my governor takes or my senator takes or my representative takes. But it means that I'm respectful. I'm respectful to others around me. I'm respectful to those who are in authority. Second concept that I want to throw out comes from Matthew chapter 22, and it's this idea of giving to Caesar what is Caesar's and giving to God what is God's. Um, In Matthew chapter 22, beginning with verse 15, it says that the Pharisees went out and they were trying to trap Jesus in his own words. They wanted to expose him as a fraud because they really thought he was a fraud. They thought he was a con, honestly. And they thought that their reign and power was, uh, was up for grabs. And so they went to their disciples um, along with the Herodians and they said to Jesus, Teacher, we know you're a man of integrity. We know you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Truth, that doesn't sound like a trap. They're flattering him at that point. But then they go on and they say, you aren't swayed by men. You pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what's your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? How many of you like paying taxes? How many of you are excited about your uh, health insurance premium increase? I've been watching some of you on social media. None of us are excited about that. And so the same thing was playing out in the first century world, and people are angry, and they're ticked off. And there's a movement of of religious people during this time that are saying, we're not going to pay taxes. We're not paying taxes to Caesar. And they're trying to suck Jesus into this debate. And they think that they've got him trapped, because if he says, eh, go ahead, pay your taxes. Do that. Go ahead. He realizes that at that point, some will interpret him as saying, we need to bow down to Caesar. On the other hand, if he goes and he says, don't pay taxes, he's going to be leading a rebellion. So they think, man, we've got him trapped. And Jesus' answer is perfect. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. And they're helpless to move forward at that point. And so I believe that as followers of Jesus... We embrace the call to be a good citizen. We embrace our duty, and we do it by showing respect and following this principle of giving to Caesar what is Caesar's, giving to God what is God's. Number two, two, be informed. Consider policy and determine priorities. And, and what I really mean by that is you need to take the time to know where candidates and party platforms stand on issues and agendas. For far too long, we have allowed the person that's shouting the loudest to shape where we will cast a vote. And we have not personally engaged. We have not personally spent time trying to determine, you know, does that candidate, does that party, does that person that's running for office really align with my heart as a follower of Jesus? And so I'm going to give you some websites. I'm going to put these in my blog tomorrow morning because they're not going to be on the screen right now. But um, I I like all three of them, quite honestly, if you want to know more about candidates and political parties. One is ChristianVoterGuide.com. ChristianVoterGuide.com. The other is FRCAction.org. FRCAction.org. And the third is AFAaction.net. AFAaction.net. One more time. ChristianVoterGuide.com frcaction.org, afaaction.net. Engage. Dive in. Um, I grew up in a staunchly Republican 
household. I think I would have not have been allowed to sleep at my house if I would not have been a Republican as a seven-year-old or a nine-year-old or an 11-year-old. Um, at the age of seven, uh, the presidential election of 1976 took place, and that was Carter Ford, and it was pretty close. And I remember my dad letting me stay up late to watch the election results. And he was unhappy because his Republican lost and the Democrat won, but I never got to stay up late. I was always going to bed on time. But that's the household that I grew up in. I went to a very liberal middle school and a very liberal high school. And many of the teachers that I had, good teachers, very, very liberal politically speaking. And they attempted to um, really try to change my thinking. They, they weren't really hiding it either. And, and it's through that process that I fell in love with the process. I fell in love with trying to study and learn and grow and develop, and yet so many people are so disgusted by the, the, the hate rhetoric and all that's taking place, they just disengage. And as Christ followers, we're called to be better than that. We're called to be informed, no policy, determine priorities, and, and, and not just let someone else tell us what we need to believe. And I want to say this, and this will be offensive to some of you, so that's okay. Um, if the only information you're getting is from MSNBC, you're not digging deep enough. If the only information that you're giving is from Fox News, you're not digging deep enough. And I'm going to leave it at that and move on to number three. Be realistic. This election is tough. It just is. I wish I could stand before you and say that I think there is an ideal candidate for president that his heart, his actions, his behaviors, or her heart or her actions or her behaviors really align perfectly with where I am a follower of Jesus and where I hope we are as a follower of Jesus. I can't do that. Maybe you can. I can't do that. For the first time in my life, I have seriously considered third-party options. In fact, one of my former administrators at Lincoln, um, his son is the campaign manager for a guy named Evan McMullen. I'd never heard of Evan McMullen. I've studied Evan McMullen. Um, so it's not ideal, and I understand that it's not ideal, and we're not going to change that. We're not going to make it ideal in two days. We're not going to more than likely see a radical change come January 20. And so I think we just have to understand it is what it is. We have to be realistic. This election is tough. Number four, this is really my heart this morning. We need to be like Jesus we need to model actions and behaviors after our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to talk about three areas where I see Christians failing miserably. And number one is this. It's in the arena of prayer. The arena of prayer. Last January, we did a Current Issues series. Does anybody remember the Current Issues series? Um, it was really good, wasn't it? <laughs> Nobody remembers it. That's right. We, we did the Current Issues series. Mark that down, okay? Current Issues. Nothing. Um, we, we did it on politics the first day. And I don't know if you remember that or not, but one of the real challenges that I gave you was we are mandated by Scripture to pray for those who are in authority. And we looked at first. Timothy chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, young son of the faith, I urge you first of all that requests, 
prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good, pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And I told you on that day that I decided I needed to practice what I preach, and so I wrote to our president, and I wrote to our governor, and I wrote to our senators, and I wrote to our representative, and I said, I'm praying for you starting today. And I'm asking our church to do the same thing. And I didn't think a whole lot about it. And I got a couple form mails back here, back there. And then on March 3rd, I received this letter. It said, Dear Greg, thank you for sharing your story. Prayer touches our hearts with humility and reminds us we are not alone. And I want you to know my spirit is uplifted and renewed by prayers for our country, my family, and me. Our age is not an easy one, but I believe in an optimistic America that always chooses hope over fear. I'm confident our nation's character will endure, bolstered by faith that provides strength and support as we seek to meet the challenges of our time. Again, I appreciate your keeping me in your prayers. I wish you and your loved ones blessings now and in the years to come. Sincerely, Barack Obama. Now, do I think Barack Obama sat down in the Oval Office on his computer and typed that out? I I don't believe that. But um, that response is very specific to the letter that I wrote to him. And I was thankful to receive that. And and I heard from other politicians as well. And so if we're going to be like Jesus, we have to practice what God's Word tells us to do. Can you imagine Peter praying for Nero? Can you imagine Paul praying for an emperor who has um, watched thousands of lives of Christians be put to death? But that's what he said. And you know, if they can pray for Nero, I'm going to pray for Barack Obama. I'm going to pray for a President Donald Trump. I'm going to pray for a President Hillary Clinton. I'm going to pray. And you should as well. And think of it like this. It's really hard to hate someone when you pray for them every day. Does that mean we're going to agree all the time? Absolutely not. There's very little that I agree with policy-wise with our president. I try to pray for him every day. You should as well. Two, humility. Another word for this would be the word submission. In, um, in 1 Peter 2, Peter says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. Paul, in Romans 13, he's writing to the church at Rome, the epicenter of the political first century world. And here's what he says to the Christians at Rome. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. There's no authority except that which God has established, and authorities that exist have been established by God. And then he says, consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And so submission does not equal agreeing with every stance that is taken, Um, but submission means respect, humility, Jesus taught humility. John chapter 13, when he washed his disciples' feet, we should as well. I think an area, um, number three, is the word unity. And I think this is an area where 
we're just missing the mark. We're missing the mark as a church at times. We're missing the mark as the Christian world to, to, to be viewed by non-Christians. Um, I just had the opportunity to lead um, a combined Bible school session on the founding of the Restoration Movement and Christian churches and independent Christian churches. And, you know, guys like Alexander Campbell and Walter Scott and Barton W. Stone, kind of the founding fathers of our movement, they were all about unity. They were all about Jesus' words in John 17, we need to be one. And yet I've seen this election divide Christians really more than anything that I've witnessed in my 47 years of life. Um, One of my heroes of the faith is Bob Russell, retired minister from Louisville, Kentucky. He preached here four and a half years ago, and he wrote about this this week. And so I'm going to steal his words. I'm giving him credit, but I'm just going to read what he wrote about this topic of unity in Christians. Here's what he wrote. He said, it's discouraging to witness how acrimonious some Christians have been toward fellow believers who disagree with them about this election. Even though the Bible instructs us to let your gentleness be evident to all, ugly, demeaning rhetoric is used to attack those in the opposite camp. Spiritual leaders are accused of being wimps, self-righteous, Pharisees, naive, and a number of other Christian swear words. I know I've been the recipient of similar criticism simply because two months ago I wrote that I would probably hold my nose and vote for Donald Trump. Folks, this should not be. Let's be mature enough to disagree in matters of opinion without being disagreeable. There's a great old slogan in doctrine unity, in opinion liberty, in all things charity. Where's the charity and liberty? The Bible says in Romans 12, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. He goes on and says, my son Rusty disagrees with me on this issue. He plans to write in a name on his ballot. And he lives in Florida where his vote matters a lot more than mine in Kentucky. Dr. Albert Moeller, Max Lucado, and Dr. Russell Moore take a similar stance. They just cannot, in good conscience, vote for Donald Trump. On the other hand, Franklin Graham, Wayne Gruden, Dr. David Jeremiah, Dr. James Dobson, and other notable Christian leaders are actively supporting Donald Trump. There are God-fearing, respected Christian leaders on both sides of this issue. Obviously, this is a complex decision. Right or wrong are not clearly defined, so let's be civil and respectful to one another. Tim Keller, senior pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, warned Christians this past Thursday against allowing politics to divide the church and reminded them that before anything else, you're Christian first. I'm a Christian before I'm an American. I love my son, and I have profound respect for Dr. Moeller and Max Lucado. They are not mindless or self-righteous because they disagree with me. They are members of my family and will continue to be long after the election is over. And so I don't know who's going to win the presidency. I really don't. But I know this. If anything divides you and a brother and sister in Christ because of a presidential election— you know who loses? We do. Christianity does. And so when we talk about being like Jesus, um, we're Christian first. Faith is first. And we can agree to disagree and love one another. 
in spite of political differences, in spite of baseball differences, in spite of any difference. Jesus should be the common connector. Number five, and I'm almost done, be kingdom. This world is not my home. Peter, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, has this phrase that, that I want just to kind of ring in your minds moving forward. He, he describes Christ's followers as aliens and strangers in this world. And, you know, I love this world at times. I love when my favorite baseball team finally wins the World Series. I mean, I never thought I'd taste that. I never thought I'd experience it. It was awesome. Um, I, I love when someone that I've rallied around politically wins. And, you know, it's devastating when the team you really want to win loses or the, the, the candidate you really want to win loses or the power plant closes or people let you down. But never lose sight of the fact that this world really is not your home if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. John wrote it like this in 1 John 4. He said, never forget that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so be kingdom first and foremost. Remember, this world is not your home. And so what's the bottom line as I wrap up this morning? It's really pretty simple. I really just know one thing for sure as it pertains to Wednesday, November the 9th. And here's what I know. The Lord will still be on the throne. The Lord will still be on the throne. And the one song we can sing without hesitation is Our God Reigns. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And um, thank you for the chance to consider what do we do as followers of Jesus? Where do we go? What's that look like? And so, God, it's my prayer that somehow this election that's going to take place, it'll bring us together as a church. It'll bring us together as a country. I mean, that's just, that's a crazy thing to even pray, but that's my prayer. And that we'll look back um, years from now and we'll see that the catalyst was men and women of the Christian faith that came together for a higher purpose, for a higher cause. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that Wednesday morning, you're still on the throne. We give it all to you. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.